Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We will be sharing this morning, we're going to continue on our series, we're going to be in Romans chapter 7 as we continue in this series, Race to Life. Have you enjoyed this, uh, this study out of Romans? What a great book, and there's some great stuff ahead. Wait till chapter 8. It's, it's coming. It's going to be it's one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. Of course, I got assigned chapter 7, but uh, yeah, but 7 really helps you understand 8, because here's the struggle, and here's the victory, and so it's this great understanding of what we uh, have received from Christ. So let's start in verse 7, and let's just read this whole passage down to the end of, of this chapter. Well then, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known the, the coveting, that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I, I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's command, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. I used the commands and used the commands to kill me, but still the law itself is holy, and the commands are holy and right and good. And so what he's just saying is the law is good. It shows me my sin, and, and that's good. It's good that we have sin revealed to us so that we can do something about it. So, so it's kind of a summary of, of that paragraph. Let's continue. But how can that be? Did the, the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my, my condemnation to death so that, so we can see how terrible sin really is. Key passage there. It used God's, it used God's good command for its own evil purposes. So, the next section, struggling with sin. So, the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, and I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, that shows that I agree with the good law, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong, uh, but I don't do what is wrong, but I still do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it, and sin is living in me. And so, so there's this tension, this struggle. You get this sense of Paul is wrestling through this saying, yikes, there, you know, it's just nature that I'm still having to deal with. I have discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is 
do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. What a miserable person that I am. Isn't that encouraging? How many here, you know, kind of felt this, this tension like, oh, yikes. We, we feel this. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then I, I am so thankful we come to verse 25. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. My mind, in my mind, I really want to obey God, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. A little summary of what he just said there. Then we go into the marvelous chapter of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I don't know if you've ever read uh, the book entitled Jekyll and Hyde or Dr. Jekyll and and Mr. Hyde. Uh, A short summary of that book is, is kind of this tension between these two people living within Dr. Jekyll, and, and Dr. Jekyll invented this potion to kind of bring out the Mr. Hyde uh, for his advantage, and, but then started to lose control of Mr. Hyde, the evil Mr. Hyde, and, and who was a murderer and just and committed all kinds of atrocities. And pretty soon, Dr. Jekyll thought he could control Mr. Hyde, loses control, and it's kind of this tragic story of this struggle within. What I found interesting is I was kind of reading a synopsis of that book is that Robert Louis Stevenson, the author of that book, was a believer. And somebody asked him, how, you know, how did you arrive at this storyline of these two people living in you know, the same body? And he said, I, because I lived that out as a believer, wanting to live for God and still wrestling with this old sin nature that can take me back into sin, and so it is this classic picture that Paul just painted here of Jekyll and Hyde, of this uh, desire to serve God and sometimes failing. And how many of us have struggled with that tension that is inside of us? Uh, we, we are new creatures in Christ. All things have become new, yet we do have that gravitational pull that can pull us back, the propensity for sin in us, and we wrestle with that. So I would confess today uh, that that is very much a part of this Christian walk, figuring this out. We need to figure this out. This is a big deal for us in our Christian walk, and we struggle with this. So let me ask you a question. Do you want the short answer, the short sermon, or the long sermon? This mighty... How many want the... Let me get out my meter. How many want the short sermon this morning? All right, how many went the long sermon this morning? Oh, wow, you guys aren't being honest, but that's all right. Thank you. You know, as Pastor Dwayne said last week, here's the short, here's the short sermon. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. And, and that's probably not the best counseling approach, probably not the best preaching approach. I wish it could be that easy. We can say, just stop it. Oh, okay, we will stop it. But there's that, that need to hear the Word of God to kind of work us over. 
and convince us and help us, encourage us. And I think I want to give you that this morning, just a word of encouragement. So we're going to look at three approaches to this whole thing of sin. What about sin? There's three approaches. The first would be a contemporary view of sin. And um, next slide there, the contemporary view, of course, I'm a PC guy, so I thought that was kind of funny to put that up there. <laughs> but the, the first approach is just kind of to say there's no such thing. No such thing as sin. There's no such thing as absolutes, absolute truth, no such thing as absolute morals. Therefore, we're just kind of figuring this out, this kind of collection of social norms and values, and, and there's not really right or wrong, it's kind of whatever's good or bad to you, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, we kind of eliminate, if you eliminate the fall, there's no original sin. It was just a nice story that represents the evolution of mankind, uh, just kind of this allegory and, and so forth. And so there's, there's people in our culture that would take that kind of view, like to talk about sin is damaging to people, it is unhealthy, you know, to, to make people feel guilty in any way. And so, so that would be one approach, is just to say what's sin. The second approach is to say, well, it's no big deal. Sin is not that really that big a deal, and, and therefore we really shouldn't get too excited about this, you know, just go out and live life, it's no big deal. We were... Um, traveling a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. We were in uh, Savannah, Georgia. And uh, we'd gone to Savannah, then went to Asheville, North Carolina, and just got away. And one of the more memorable uh, events on that trip was uh, happened in Walmart in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, not the, the most exciting part of the trip, but there's something about it that I really remember it stands out. And when we were inside of Walmart, there, you know, there's this growing humidity, growing heat, and you could just feel that a big storm was coming, big black clouds just started to pour, uh, just dump rain. And then pretty soon we get this, these, you know, like an amber alert on our phones where your phones start to go off. And let me just see if I can find that text real fast. <clears throat> It happened twice, and it was basically there's an imminent threat happening right now. Let's see if I can find that. And, and so we, we asked the, uh, here it is, this happened twice, imminent extreme alert, tornado warning in this area till 5.30 p.m., take shelter now, check local media. And so our phones are going off. Malore's getting this. So we're thinking, okay, we're from the Northwest, you know. We don't know what to do. And so we, you know, so, so we asked one of the workers at, at the store, what do we do? And you had thought that we had asked her what was the meaning of life. She just, she just had this blank look on her face like, She'd never heard of such, you know, what do you do if there's a tornado that's ready to hit Walmart? And so I thought, great. So she said, well, let me go check. So she disappears, never comes back. So, 
So Melora's pressing this. She's not going to let it go. You know, I'm thinking, well, let's get away from the sharp objects at least, you know. And the, the next guy says, I, I don't know. So he said, let me go. Let me go check. But what was stood out to me is the entire store continued to shop. <laughs> you know, looking for good deals on bug zappers and everything, you know, the, in the store. And we're the only two people in the entire store that has stopped and asked, what, what do we do? So finally the guy comes back to us. He said, uh, I asked my manager, and he said, maybe you guys should go back by the photo lab. <laughs> So, so we did. We were the only people in the entire store that were in the photo lab. We sat back there for about 10 minutes. That well, okay. <laughs> uh, apparently, the, you know, the warning's over now. So I guess we can go. And, you know, and it was kind of that, that feel of it's no big deal here. No big deal. And, and I think that sometimes... You know, is how we approach something that seems, you know, like it should really be a big deal here. And, and for us as believers, we need to realize that there's something that has to be dealt with. I heard a study by George Barna a few years ago, and he was asking a group of conservative Christian believers what the number one sin in their life was. This is what they named as the number one sin, disorganization. Disorganization. <laughs> it's like one of those answers when you have an interview for a job. You know, what's your weakness? Oh, you know, I just I'm a workaholic kind of thing. I'm disorganized, and so you know, I happen to think there's probably darker things lurking in our human heart than disorganization. So, so let's t- let's talk about the biblical view, and and talk about it. it. Really, is a big deal that we need to understand here. That sin is uh, an invasion of everything that God has created. He originally designed us, created us in his image. It was perfect. And, and sin has marred the whole thing. It has marred the entire universe. And we see some synonymous words with sin. It's vile, it's corrupt, rebellion. Uh, we're blind, all these things. All of these things, the curse ends up bringing us to what? To death. That's the final result of sin as death. And God said not only physical death, but spiritual death, the separation from him. So it ruined everything. So it is a big deal that we need to understand. We have to face it. We have to deal with it. We can't just just dismiss it. Jeremiah said the heart, the human heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately wicked. Earlier on in Romans, Paul used a word, in chapter 1, you can read that later, chapter, uh, a big part of chapter 1 is dealing with this, the fallen nature of mankind, and you can uh, start like in verse 28 and go on, on down, I won't read the whole thing, but he, he says twice in that description of sin, he uses the word depravity, which is a really important word to understand what sin is all about. We would think, well, you know, somebody that's depraved is the worst of the worst, serial killers, you know, just we'd think there's only a few people depraved. But what that word means to help us understand is it's the culmination of all the lostness, all the fallenness in all of us. 
All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are depraved. And that word, to understand that, means that we are helpless to fix ourselves, and we are helpless even to want to fix ourselves. And so that is a, that is a clear understanding of this inner nature, this old self that we are overcoming as that it is very fallen, it is very lost, it is very helpless, and we need an answer desperately. And so Paul is saying, so this law that came by God exposes our sin. It's like a mirror. And if we see something in the mirror that we don't like, what do we do? You break the mirror, right? You know, get rid of that mirror. It's making me look old, you know, older all the time. Uh, you know, that's crazy. And so we do that same thing with the law, saying, well, you know, let's just get rid of any rules, get rid of the law. But we come to a really important verse in verse 13. Let's read this again. So, did that which is good then become death to be? My, by no means, but in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that, da da da, so that the command of sin might become utterly sinful. <laughs> Is that kind of interesting? Sin might become sinful. And so let's kind of let's just see it for what it is. We can see how terrible sin really is. I was thinking about this, you know, the cheapening of sin, and, and I wrote in my notes, he said, I, I thought this out, when we cheapen sin as no big deal, we also cheapen our salvation. Because our salvation is bought with the precious blood of Christ. So if it's no big deal, then why did Christ die for us? When we recognize the deep destruction caused by sin, we realize the deep freedom of forgiveness and transformation. So we're going from darkness into light, and the darkness is dark. But I tell you, when you understand how marvelous the light is, it's amazing. And so we have this gospel of truth that's the hope of a broken world. And so, so recognizing what a big deal this is helps us and being able to share the great news of salvation. The second way we try to um, deal with sin is, you know, the first is minimize it. The second is to manage it. You know, somehow the, I will become an expert, and Paul is trying to bring that out in this, saying, you know, I was kind of the expert in this. Paul was, a, uh, he was a Pharisee. That word means be separate, divide, to be distinguished. And the Pharisees took a, a great amount of pride in being the experts. They considered themselves the experts in the law and living the law out. And, and they really did believe that they were accomplishing perfection through being experts in the law. It's interesting if you follow out Orthodox Jewish uh, beliefs, Today, it's even a continuation of that. They have 39 categories of Shabbat, so you can take that and just continue. That just continues. They continue to explain it and define it and refine it. And, and so they have 
39 categories of how you celebrate the Sabbath without working. And, and they find ways around that. <laughs> so you have Shabbat elevators that stop on every floor because if you touch the button, you're working and you don't, can't work on the Sabbath. So they have ways around that. Or they will take, and some have even like moved the clock back for 20 minutes so they can finish the project and then the Sabbath starts, you know, Friday evening. And, and all these, you know, these little fine things, they put tape on the refrigerator so that if you open the door, the light doesn't come on, which is work. The light is a spark. You're making fire. It's one of the categories. You can't do that. And I think that's, that has to be exhausting. And, and God, who has given us the Sabbath so that we can have relationship with him, do you think he's bothered by the fact of a light coming on on the refrigerator? He wants to have a relationship with this. <laughs> and so these experts, sometimes we can work ourselves into a corner thinking that somehow we can manage this, this whole sin nature. You know, we, we are assembly God. We don't, you know, we don't toot that horn all the time, but, you know, it's, it's a great fellowship. And, and we come from a holiness movement. You can trace us through the Methodists and, and on down. And we've, we've been a movement that has said we need to walk in holiness. It's been a, a big deal for us. But sometimes we can be... Uh, we have in the past sometimes fallen into legalism as well, thinking if we could just define it enough ways and say, don't do this and don't do this. And I remember when he had membership cards that said, I won't do these things, I won't. And one of them was dancing and chewing and going with girls who chew and things like that. <laughs> and we actually had membership cards that we, you know, I'm thinking... The pastor that I got saved under said, if we're going to start making a list, we need a lot bigger list. (laughs) And he kind of refined it, said, we just want to walk with Christ. That's our, you know, we want to be transformed disciples. I thought it was interesting. I I thought, you know, I'm going to pull out, this is one of my folders on all my past sermons. And some of these are so ancient, they're almost like papyrus that they're written on. (laughs) But this is my folder on holiness. <laughs> wow. You see the dust fly out of that? That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. And these are just all the A sermons on holiness right here. You should see the rest. But, and I, I have it broken down in subcategories. And you'd think, you know, after preaching all these, I would be pretty holy, Right. I should know it, have it all down. And, uh, you know, I think these sermons work on me. I don't work on sermons. Hopefully there's, there was some good stuff in these old, old things. Someday I'm, my kids are going to have to throw these away. <laughs> it's like, what do we do with these things? But that's, you know, sometimes we have fallen into that thinking that if we just do enough and try hard enough and there's, you know, there's, how many have felt that tension? You know, I'm, I don't quite add up. I'm just not praying enough. I'm not reading the Bible enough. And, and so we kind of get into ourselves into that rut sometimes. But I've also have heard people that have, have felt like they have accomplished holiness. They're there. They're, they've 
they've left the gravitational pull of sin. And I think, well, all except for spiritual pride, you know, that they're doing pretty good. Paul has a description for these experts in the sin. Miserable failures. Wretched men. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I love how animals, uh, if you say bad dog, you, can you see the, the guilt? <laughs> and just... Just that reminder. Let's show the next one. There's, <laughs> nope. I have not seen you in your lipstick. <laughs> and, and I thought that is describing verses 14 through 24 that I do the things I shouldn't, I don't do the things I should. And, and we're just like that. We are all guilty. We have that lipstick all over our face. We have. We have all failed, and, and, and Paul, you know, Paul understood that if there's anyone that could have accomplished perfection through the law, it would have been Paul. He really did strive with everything within him. He knew the law. He was an expert in the law. It's interesting in this passage if you compare it to the rest of Romans, this is the only time that he goes into a whole series of first-person singular. I, me, my. In fact, one translation has that 35 times in this passage. The other times he's talking third-person. and then he's So this is a real revealing of Paul's heart. He's kind of like stepping out of his, his thought process, and he's exposing his heart, saying, I have not done so great in this. And I appreciate that he brings it out because it's, that's how you deal with sin. you got to bring it out. You can't hide it. You can't ignore it. You can't wish it away. You deal with it straightforward. And that's our battle as well, realizing, you know, the sin in us is worse than we thought many times. And there's, see, there's not only sins of commission, there's sins of omission. So a Sunday school teacher asks class, What's the difference between sins of commission and sins of omission? And a little boy thought about it. He said, well, sins of commission are the ones you've already sinned. Sins of omission are the ones you want to get around to, but you haven't yet. <laughs> so <laughs> not quite. <laughs> not quite. The, you know, it's like doing the things you shouldn't do would be sins of commission, but not doing the things you should do are sins of omission. We should be doing so much more. And so if we stop and just make a list of things we shouldn't do, we're, we're missing a big part of that. God has so much more for us, doesn't he? And sometimes we come short of that because of our own struggle within ourselves. C.S. Lewis says, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. And so verse 24 Oh, what a miserable person I am. That really is a good summary. What a wretched man that I am. That word there means utter exhaustion, physical and emotional turmoil at the end of the rope. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But I'm so thankful for verse 25. Are you ready for that? Here's the third 
approach. So we can't uh, minimize it. We can't manage it. But here's the answer. We master it through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. I love how it says, Thank, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord in the new living. It's helpful to understand as we kind of head toward the finish here, there's, a, there's some important concepts that our salvation is ongoing. It's past as far as justification that we're covered with the blood of Christ. So you are clean. We are new creatures. If you have received Christ, you have been set free. We stand in that justification. But then there's this ongoing process. Pastor Dwayne shared this last week of this sanctification. It's still being worked out in us. We're clean before God, and yet we're, we're still catching up to that in our daily life. And so that's where that battle is, but it's also encouraging to know someday it's going to be glorification. That someday we will be set free from this struggle of sin. Someday we will be back in that perfect relationship with God. And, and so there's that whole wonderful message of glorification. We'll see more of that in chapter 8. But here's the, the last part of what I wanted to share with you this morning is just understanding the heart. So how does this work? How do, we, how do we walk in righteousness? How does this happen? And I'm just going to share from my experience, if that's okay. And I don't profess to be the expert in this at all, but, but just knowing that that is so much of my desire, that, that is something that I have made it my life goal to pursue this transformation that God has. And so it starts with relationship. And I, forget, I, I think that we forget that this walk with Christ is very much relational, a personal relationship. And I would compare it to my marriage. And I want the best for my marriage, and therefore... There's that understanding. I have to work that relationship. I want the best for my whole family and be able to minister and not have these marriage struggles. And so that helps in, in us, in our relationship with one another. And it's very much the same thing with Christ, that, that I need to avoid those cheap substitutes that could somehow waylay my relationship with Christ that I need to run to him and renew that relationship daily. It's ongoing, and, I can, and it waxes and wanes. I can get away and become distant from God very quickly. And so I'm, I'm having to just come back to that understanding of relationship. The second part of that in marriage is not only do I want the best, but I don't want to hurt my wife. And, you know, you're one flesh. You don't, you don't want anything to hurt them or harm them. And so that helps me to be on better behavior. Now, have I always accomplished that? Have I said things that are hurtful? Yes. And my wife's back in the wiggle room. Sorry, hon. <laughs> I do that. And, and so, but I, I want the best for my wife. I don't 
want to hurt her. And it's the same with Christ in my relationship with him. I want the best from Christ. I want to walk in that newness of life all the time. And I don't want to hurt him because our sins are a personal affront. David said, against you and you alone do I sin. And it's not just this cosmic thing, a yin-yang kind of thing. It's a personal, it's a personal relationship with Christ. The second thing, as we head for the finish line, it's not only personal, but it's a, it's a daily surrender. And I think of Isaiah, who came into the presence of Christ, the presence of God. And up to that point, Isaiah had been, woe you, woe is you, woe is you, for five chapters. He come, we come to Isaiah chapter 6, and what does Isaiah say? Woe is me. So when you come into a relationship with Christ and you understand his holiness and how much he wants for you, and then you blow it, well, you, you come to the understanding of how we have violated God's trust and hurt him, and we say, woe is us. And then we run into his presence. Hebrews uh, chapter 4 talks about, let us come therefore boldly into his throne of grace to receive help in time of need. And that's what pushes us in. You have to say that daily. It's a daily surrender. And understanding that maturity produces purity, that, that as I grow in Christ, I want to be more pure, and I have a greater understanding of sin and how that old nature, how ugly it is, which helps me to surrender even more. Lord, woes me, forgive me. And the third thing is a daily battle. It's a battle we're in. Pressing in. And, uh, you know, that scripture in Mark where Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me daily. It's a daily battle saying I have to, I have to do this. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talked about running this race with diligence. Run to win. Run to, you know, push through this. This pain, as Pastor Dwayne, I think, is probably feeling right now, you know, uh, run to win. And, and uh, wouldn't that be something if they won the marathon this morning? But I think they just want to finish, and yeah, that, that's a big accomplishment. But for us, we say, uh, we take our body and, and subject it and push and stop feeding the old nature. It's a battle. You know, there's two dogs living in you. Which dog is, is doing the best? It's whichever one you're feeding the most. Yeah, don't feed it lipstick, you know. <laughs> so it's that, you know, those two natures. So what are you doing to feed the spiritual natures? Not just do, not doing the don'ts. And so all those things have helped me in this wanting to push in. And we're, Malora and I are at a point where we're just leaning on God, trusting Him. On March 6th of this spring, we found out Melora has uh, CLL, chronic lymphomic leukemia. And so she's battling with this, and we're, we're just trusting God. And we're at a point where I want to do everything I can to receive everything God has. 
And so this kind of this fresh intensity to press in has become even more real for me. Wanting all that God has. I don't want to be in the way of that. I want everything that he has for me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that you help us in this struggle, and it really is a real struggle. All of us are dealing with this. There's no person here that is doing this alone. And Lord, I I thank you that we can overcome those things. And it is that daily surrender. I need to keep it fresh. Lord, sometimes we kind of coast and then we get still. And then we get into trouble. And Lord, I pray we would keep it very fresh, alive, filled with joy, filled with power and strength. Lord, I thank you that you're here for us. We pray in your precious name. Amen.